You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show. We are so happy to have you back. Well, I'll tell you what, coming up with episodes and topics to talk about is one of the most fun parts of doing this show. And the folks at DNB have just given me full reign to come up with topic ideas that I think will interest all of you. And you know what? There is a lot of neat stuff going on when it comes to technology in agriculture and just surrounding us out here in the West. And today, we're going to explore that a little bit. We have two guests coming on, both from a company called Empire Unmanned. And they are a company that operates drones, basically, or if I'm going to be more technical, an unmanned aerial vehicle. But they do a lot more than that. They've got multiple different unmanned aerial vehicles that they operate to satisfy a variety of needs for people in the community, customers in the community. And they do a ton of analytics and data collection for people to help them get the most out of this new technology. It's a really fascinating interview, and it's very, very Very fascinating technology, and you know, we're seeing it around us more and more and more. So, I thought it would be great for us all to explore it a little bit and to learn more about it. So, today we have Brock Lipple, who is the GIS director for Empire Unmanned, as well as Gary Smith, who is an account manager for Empire Unmanned. And I'll tell you what, together they have got a ton of information for us all about unmanned aerial vehicles and everything that can be done with this fascinating technology. I hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Brock and Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on and joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, you guys. Well, you know, I really do appreciate you coming on to talk about some of the technological innovations that we're seeing in agriculture and all sorts of other places in the West here today. You know, if it was a year ago, I might have said that drones were a technological innovation that you're only going to be seeing in agriculture. But now, I mean, I just know personally that local law enforcement in the Treasure Valley are deploying drones, Idaho Power, they're putting drones out there. So uh, people listening to this show, they're going to be seeing drones, right? I mean, this is going to be something that's going to be part of their lives. Well, if you look at it, the FAA just went over 1 million registrations of UAVs, UAS, drones. Drones, a five-letter word, but the drones you're talking about, yes, 1 million. <laughs> 1 million, yeah, so that's quite a few. Well, all right, well, let's do this. To jump off, I'd like to just introduce you both to our audience a little bit. I wonder, Brock, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in working for uh, Empire Unmanned? Sure, yeah. Um, so, I'm from Boise. I went to school at Boise State, and I was interested in um, environmental studies when I was going to school. And I had some different jobs where I was able to utilize GIS, which stands for Geographic Information Systems, into uh, different industries. And the way I got involved with this company was when I was going to grad school, I basically had a, a, a contact when the, when the company was just starting out. And once I got finished with my master's degree, I was able to just step into the position and, and start doing work with UAVs right away. I've been with the company about two years and it's, it's been great. It's been really fun and probably one of the biggest challenges I've had in my life so far. Awesome. Do you ever get to fly them? I do. So recently I've acquired my part 107 remote pilot's license and I fly occasionally, um, although that's not my primary function. And Gary, how about you? Well, my background is tech. Uh, I live in Star, 
and I've been with the company since 2011 when they first started out. Steve Edgar was the founder of a company called Adefso, Advanced Aviation Solutions. Uh, we grew over the years, and Steve's dedication was to take this commercial, to use drones. His military background was flying the real things that you see on TV and hear about. But uh, when he came out, he said, uh, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is I want to fly commercially. I want to help people. We were the first company in the United States to receive an FAA approval for agriculture. Mm -hmm. So ag has been our, our bread and butter from the beginning. But we've expanded from that into other applications, which we'll talk more about. But my history has always been tech. And I came out of the tech industry, 35 years, semiconductor military applications, things like that. So that's my background and how I met up with Steve was because of that. Well, Brock, I've got one to shoot at you. So you talked sure. about GIS and I was going through the website for Empire Unmanned and there's a lot of acronyms on there and I figure we better break some of those down for our listeners. So what in the world is GIS? So GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems. So basically uh, a way to think about that is looking at data, but doing it spatially, looking at it in a spatial context. So if you've ever used Google Maps or Google Earth to drive somewhere or mm -hmm. to look at imagery, that's basically a, a GIS. So we're, okay. we're talking about mapping, um, but basically in a digital space. And uh, we will cover going forward in the episode, I'm sure, Empire and Man doesn't just fly drones. They collect data and analyze that data, and that's where GIS is going to come into play. Exactly. Right. So the, the drone is the tool or the medium used to, to collect the information. And at the end of the day, the, the real big picture of what we do is deliver data via drones. So that, that would be pictures of a field, pictures of, of a mine site, and really kind of the, the take home what we do is actually data processing and delivery more so than just flying drones. So, Gary, let's shoot this one at you. Man, we're talking about aircraft, and all of a sudden I'm talking about shooting. I don't, maybe it's the military part you mentioned. I don't know. Okay. What does Empire Unmanned do? When you're managing an account, when you're talking to somebody about working with Empire Unmanned, and you're telling them what Empire Unmanned can do for them, what can you provide as a, as a company flying drones? We do the total package, we provide everything. As uh, Brock said, it's the data that's critical. How we get that data is by using a UAV, UAS, all different names, but the drone, mm -hmm. to fly over a field, collect data. That data is then crunched by Brock, and then it's given back to the customer. I like to refer to it as customer has a need, whether it's volumetric, mm -hmm. we do mining, uh, one of our favorites is uh, manure piles. Okay. Think about manure piles. Why would I? Well, if you have a lot of manure that you sell as a product, mm -hmm. as fertilizer, you'd want to know exactly how much is there. And we can actually fly over that 100, 200 acres of manure piles and actually give that data back to the customer. Mm. So now where before they were guesstimating, and some people are pretty good. Now we can give them an accurate number so they know how much they have, and that becomes their inventory. So we don't call it manure. We call it inventory in the business. <laughs> but the same thing with mining and, uh, and other things. So that, that's what we do. We provide the total service. It's everything from meeting the customer, sitting with him, and discussing what his needs are. What is it that you want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. Then we decide what vehicle we'll use. We had a customer that wanted to fly chimneys, mm -hmm. and we actually used balloons. Okay. Where we couldn't find a drone inside, we use it. So we come up with the total solution. So we, we look at the customer's need, we sit and talk with them, 
decide what's the best way to go about it and then how we provide the solution. Some people want everything. Some people just want the data. Uh, but that's it's a total solution. And the key to all of this is, or the part that makes it so interesting is how you're collecting the data. And that is getting up in the air one way or the other and getting that unique perspective. Correct. It's it's the vehicle. And, and there are other options. I mean, we fly drones. Uh, people fly airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is even satellite. But when it comes to resolution, what farmers are looking for, or growers in the ag business, is they need the high resolution. They need the information mm-hmm. right away. So that's the difference between what we do and what other people do. But we're just part of the solution, uh, and that's what we bring to the customer. Now, you mentioned a couple acronyms. I want to clarify those really quick. Either one of you can answer this. That's fine. But UAS, what is UAS? So a UAS generally is Unmanned Aerial System, where as if you're thinking about UAVs, that's Unmanned Aerial Vehicle. So that's more of the the platform and the systems, the entire package from command and control link all the way to the drone and back. So that is, that's the whole deal with the the person on the ground controlling the drone and and then not just what's flying in the sky. It's just kind of a semantics thing. We we usually prefer UAS just because it encompasses a broader definition of the term. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, we've got to take a few commercial breaks during this interview and we're off to a great start. So let's take our first one. And when we come back, I want to find out about all the different aircraft that you do fly. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. All right. Well, Brock, I've got one for you. So what kind of different aircraft or UAVs does Empire Unmanned fly? We use a a lot of different products. One thing Gary mentioned earlier is we have platforms that range from blimp type vehicles to fixed wing and also rotor wing aircraft. So we have used uh, aircraft from companies like DJI, who's who makes uh, Phantoms, Matrices, and also we fly SenseFly products, which could be the EB, and that's a, f- a fixed-wing craft. Okay. Each project's different, so we decide on that tailored to what, what the basically the end result is. So if we're doing, a say, a bridge inspection, we're going to want something that's, that's nimble and can get really close to the mm-hmm. object in question. But if we're doing ag and we need to cover 300 acres, we're going to use a, probably a, a fixed-wing aircraft to cover it in, say, one or two flights. So we're, we're, we're kind of using just whatever the latest and greatest tool is um, for that project. And if we don't have it, we, we'll just go get it. Well, I, I want to put blimps to the side for a second sure. or balloons to the side for a second and talk about, and you correct me here, so we have fixed wing mm-hmm. and then the one with the, I'm going to say rotors, propellers. Yep. 
Uh, what are those? What do we call those? So uh, I, I guess I call them rotor rotor wing craft. Is okay. seems to be the the easiest so to not, use. So that could be four four props or six props. If you've ever seen a, a Phantom, that usually has. Four. Okay. Yep. I'm picturing one. So now, what's what's the benefit and the drawback to each one of those types? So uh, say a quadcopter, the battery times are going to be reduced. Generally, it takes more power to keep that thing in the air. Okay. But you can also get closer to whatever you're looking at. So if if you want to fly 10 meters above your crops, you can do that. With a fixed wing, you need to watch out for power lines, things of that nature, Mm -hmm. obstructions. And so you're going to be flying generally more like a hundred feet or a few hundred feet off the ground um, for the most part, but it can cover more area and it can last for, you know, 35 to 45 minutes generally, whereas a, a quadcopter might be about 20 on a good day. Gotcha. And so this is what I'm picturing. You tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong. The quadcopter can hover. Correct. Right? Because of the the downward thrust, I suppose. Yep. Listen to me trying to be mm-hmm. smart. And then exactly. the fixed wing needs lift, right? So it has Correct. to have forward momentum to stay in the air. Correct. So you're launching it from either your, your hands, you're throwing it, or you have some type of contraption that's, that's launching it for you. Now, under what circumstances, because I was really interested when I saw this on your website, I saw the, the video of the blimp in the, uh, in the tower, the, uh, the tank, uh, doing an inspection. So under what circumstances will you use balloons or blimps or something like that? So uh, I think Gary mentioned this earlier about the, the chimneys. So the blimp would be best suited for tight spaces mm-hmm. um, where you need high precision, where say you're inside of a a silo struck type structure. Mm-hmm. If you touch the side of that wall with any rotor, you're going to crash immediately and right. fall however high up you are. So the blimp is just a safer option and you can be more precise on where it's actually going. Gotcha. And that's really just for that specific problem. That's that's a good solution, but not okay. to say you couldn't do with the rotorcraft. It's just difficult. And then Gary, I wanted to ask you, so what's keeping this blimp up in the air? What do you use to keep it aloft? It gas. The gas that's in it's like a regular blimp that you'd put up there. As Brock said, with a rotary, if we got too close to the wall, it creates a vacuum and it would suck the craft oh, into the wall. Okay. So, again, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things we provide is a total solution. So, when we're sitting and talking to the customer and they're identifying what they want to do, uh, we might go in and experiment. In that case, it was new. It was the first time we flew it. So, brand new customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had a problem. To inspect these towers, they have to build scaffolding, and they go up hundreds of feet. Very expensive, very time-consuming, very dangerous, mm-hmm. because somebody has to climb up there and look at each one of the tiles. In this case, we were able to go up there and just put the blimp in mm-hmm. and uh, fly very close, give them all the information they needed, and solve a major problem for them. Very interesting. So I'm picturing, and you don't have to give any names here or anything like that, but I'm picturing as, as I drive around just where I live here in the Treasure Valley, two places I go by all the time, the Cheese Factory out in Nampa mm-hmm. and the uh, the Sugar Beet Factory. And they've obviously got big, tall structures like what you're talking about. So we're talking about uh, a blimp could be an effective solution for something like that to go in and, and look at it. That's correct. Interesting. And then I, as I'm imagining this, I suppose if somebody were up on scaffolding, they could be looking at the side of the wall. And if they find a problem, they could sit there and study it. They could take a photograph of it. But with the blimp, if it's, it's using video, it's capturing all that. And, and you can study that and zoom in and all that, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Correct. It was live and they could actually look at it. And uh, if the customer is there with us at the time, which they were, uh, they could say, take it back. I want to look at that one mm-hmm. more time. Okay. Uh, same thing when we do construction. Uh, one of the things we do is in construction would be road work. 
inspecting bridges. Okay. So uh, applications that you can use is a, a thermal camera. I don't want to give away all the secret sauce here, but <laughs> it's pretty well known that in construction, uh, if you've got a bridge that has a crack in it someplace, uh, by using thermal cameras, you can look at that crack. Mm-hmm. Now, since things warm up during the day, if you look at it in the morning before the bridge expands, mm-hmm. you're going to get a reference point. If you come back later in the day as the sun has come up, mm-hmm. uh, you can do that. Uh, for pavement delamination, uh, we can actually use thermals there and inspect a roadway and see, same thing, using the temperature if there's a problem. So it's, it's while your customers are ag, there are many different applications yeah. out there, road construction and as Brock explained, the type of aircraft is critical. You'd want to use a hovercraft if you're looking at something. Mm-hmm. And we've all seen them on TV or in ads where they just sit there and you mm-hmm. can control it. But if we were doing a long road looking for things, then we might use the fixed wing okay. speed and uh, and accuracy. And yeah, you mentioned the different customers you serve and, and certainly D&B. I mean, we've got to focus on agriculture and the Western lifestyle, but everybody working on all this stuff we're selling you know work clothing and gloves and boots and and everybody so anybody that's that's climbing these towers doing road construction down there working on bridges and wind power and all that type of stuff absolutely i mean we want to talk to all those folks today yeah so thank you very much for that so i i have a follow-up question it's just making me crazy on the blimp what kind of gas do you use to keep it up i believe that job it was helium gas okay like you get at a party store okay but you know, we're able to use any any type of, of uh, you know, light gas that, that floats. So, All right. Well, it's that time again already. So let's take another commercial break. When we come back, i got to figure out how in the world you control these things. Sure. Know what looks good with a cowboy hat? Panhandle Western Apparel and Rock and Roll Denim, available at D&B Supply. Over 70 years ago, Panhandle started putting snaps on their popular gambler-style shirt and soon became a runaway hit with cowboys and cowgirls everywhere. In the 21st century, they formed Rock and Roll Denim too, with fashion-forward looks and high-class jeans that fit any style. With designs both classic and fresh, get decked out for life in the West with Panhandle shirts and Rock and Roll Denim at D&B. There is nothing more iconic in the West than a cowboy hat. And no brand of cowboy hat that's better known for quality, style, and look than Stetson. Stetson's legacy dates back over 150 years. Since then, it's been turning out nothing but the best women's and men's hats in a variety of styles, from classic cowboy to straw and more. And for the real Western rider in your life, nothing makes them look the part better. Stetson Classic American Hats, available now at your favorite D&B supply. Well, Brock, let me ask you another question uh, coming out of break. So since you've flown these, you know, I I don't have much experience. I've tried to fly like a remote control helicopter before, Mm -hmm. and I've wrecked it consistently. The controlling these things, is it easy? Does it take a ton of skill? How in the world do you fly these these apparatus? Well, every manufacturer is going to have some different variations on on how they flow and stabilize the aircraft. But in general terms, I think they're getting easier every year. Mm -hmm. So if you're flying a a rotor wing aircraft, so one that that hovers, generally you're flying it with a remote control. But for, say, mapping, like we're doing with agriculture, lots of times you'll take off manually mm-hmm. and then you'll switch it to a, a t- autonomous mode which means that it flies by itself okay based on a, a pre-programmed flight plan that you've basically established before the project so mm-hmm. 
for the most part, for our purposes, we have pre-programmed flight paths and we're just making sure that it's uh, staying clear of obstructions and people and dangers. If you have a, a drone that's, say, built for racing, that's not going to have any stabilization either through GPS or barometric pressure to, to maintain altitude. So that's completely all on your skill alone. Okay. And so that's going to be more difficult to fly than a lot of the modern ones that are, are flying based on GPS. Got it. So in this application, uh, you can actually program it in there and, and the computer will kind of take over for you and keep it yep. in the air. And Generally, and that's, that's uh, how we fly most of the time because it's safer, but it also basically gives you the best data possible because the aircraft is adjusting without you having to adjust and watch for obstructions and things of that nature as well. Fascinating. Okay, now Gary, I, I want to ask you, when you're talking to potential customers and they're asking you about efficiency and time and, and all that type of stuff, how far and for how long or how what kind of distance can uh, these unmanned aerial vehicles fly? Typically, we tell the customer that they can fly, we fly 150 to 200 with the fixed wing aircraft. So uh, a farmer is going to be interested, or a grower is going to be interested in how much, if he's, how many acres he has, and how much we can cover, mm-hmm. and what the need is. It's kind of like scouting. What we're doing is going out and looking at the whole field, not just the outside perimeter, and assuming that everything's good. So the answer is thirty to forty minutes. We're in the air, but our pilots carry batteries. Okay. So the aircraft will fly a route. We'll pick a, an area. The grower will say, "That's my." my area that I want to fly. And then we'll break it down into sections. So if we fly 30 or 40 minutes, then the plane will come back. The aircraft will, the drone will land itself. We replace the battery. We send it up again. Okay. We call them missions when we actually, as Brock explained, it's actually programmed into a computer. I'm not one of the pilots, but they get all the glory. You know, it's kind (laughs) of like in the movies, the pilot gets the glory, but and not to take away from them, it's a lot required, but it's all done by the computer. We Uh actually plot it out. Uh, You tell me where your farm is, what your field is, we put in all the coordinates, and the next day when we go to fly the mission, then what we do is we just set it out there, and Mm -hmm. the aircraft does it. If you watch it, it's interesting because it will fly the route back and forth, back and forth, and for accuracy, the one aircraft we use, the EB, it's actually like porpoising. You actually see it going up and down, up and down. Hmm. Uh, and people say, there's something wrong with the plane. And we're saying, no, that's what it's supposed to do. And it takes the picture because there's wind, there's drift, there's mm-hmm. altitude. And uh, that's what we, we do. We can compensate for all of that. And then when it's getting low on battery life, how do you know when you need to bring it back so it doesn't just fall out of the sky? We actually have an indicator that the pilot is looking at. That's part of his job. Uh, when we go out, typically you can fly now under 107, and we'll talk about some FAA regulations mm-hmm. later, because that seems to be the number one answer. When I travel around and talk to people, mm-hmm. they've heard a lot about this, what's changing, what can I do, what can I do. But uh, there is an indicator, and, and he tracks that. So he sees on his display uh, how much battery life he has, okay. so he knows. Now, I, I was going through your website, and, and this technology is absolutely fascinating. And of, of course, my perspective kind of started with the agricultural applications. And I think in my memory, that's kind of where using drones in a commercial sense kind of started was in agriculture, but it's expanded so much. So some of the things, some of the topics I pulled off of your website, uh, field mapping, timber inspection, tank inspection, which we already talked about in different industrial applications. So I wanted to ask, like, uh, if we talk about timber inspection, which certainly there's a lot of people in our audience who 
have timber stands or work in the timber industry, what are tree farmers, what are foresters looking for if they're using aerial aircraft to observe that? It depends on their application, what specifically they're looking for. We work with the forestry department. Fires are concerned, so after a fire, they want to look how much damage was done, okay. what's left standing. Uh, we've actually had aircraft where we could go up and look at the top of a tree and inspect it and see if there's been a lot of thermal heat. You want to know if that tree is going to make it or not. Do they need to cut it down? So things like that. Stands, crop stands, uh, how many trees are in an area? We can give them that information. It goes all the way back down to the seed. When they're planting, okay. if they're planting new forestry, putting new trees in, then uh, we can actually go in and, and count crop stands. Now, you talked about, you mentioned the term a little while ago, volumetrics. Yes. And when we talk about industrial applications, you talked about mines. So in my mind, I'm picturing like a big pit mine. Can you use a drone to figure out the, I guess, the volume that you've unearthed? When, you're, when you say volumetrics, is that what you mean? Yes. I'll start with that one, then I'll throw it over to Brock, because he's okay. the GIS guy. But what we do is we can go out to a mine, a uh, gravel pit, uh, phosphorus mine, different applications. What they typically do in an open pit, as you said, is they'll blow up the side of a mountain. That material inventory now falls onto the ground. Mm-hmm. There's tractors rolling all over it. When you've got 200, 300, 500 acres of a material laying on the ground, and you're constantly adding or removing to it, you want to know how much material is there. Mm -hmm. So we go in and we start at one point, and we say, okay, here's the set point. Today, on the first of the month, this is what we measured. And we can actually measure within, Brock, I'll turn it over to you. What's the depth that we can go to? I think the easiest way to think about it is a percentage, plus or minus, from total total material on the ground. So I think we like to stay within, um, you know, 10% or, or less generally. And a lot of that's dependent on what aircraft we use, how we're setting up our uh, ground control. But it's uh, it's fairly accurate and it's it's um, generally on par, I think, with uh, traditional survey results from, mm-hmm. from walking piles and trying to guesstimate on what those, uh, what those volumes are. So is that just like a, a before and after flight? You fly it before the day starts and at the end of the day to see what's been gone or you don't have to constantly have it in the air? Yeah, so it depends. So depending on the, the topography too, we can do a flight that does a baseline. So a, f- a flight that has no material on it. So it's just a flat mm-hmm. surface and we know that's the bottom. And then the next time we fly, once there's something on top of that, then we basically just do a, a simple math equation to okay. find that volume. But sometimes we don't have that luxury, um, basically. And then you're, you're looking at... Um, finding the the lowest point on the map and then using that as the baseline. And that same process is used with the, we mentioned the inventory before, or manure. Mm -hmm. So piles of things. It could be anything. It could be sawdust. It could be uh, sand. Uh, Anything that's out there that we can measure a difference on, inventory piled Mm -hmm. up, figure 500 acres, and you've got mounds of material. Again, wood chip, gravel, name it, manure. We can accurately, very quickly, measure that and give uh, the numbers back to the customer. As Brock said, once the baseline is established, the next month we come back, there's going to be a difference from what we measured. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the next month, there's going to be a difference. So we can give a pretty accurate um, measurement to the customer. That's fascinating. I, I realize that drones are being used all over the world and all over the United States, but as I look through your website and, and I think of all the applications, man, it seems like they were designed for the West. 
as you go down the list, uh, farming, mining, wind power, search and rescue, ranching, farming. I mean, all of that. It's so Western that mm-hmm. all the stuff you can do with it. That's really interesting. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. I've got to start asking you about uh, more applications. Like, we got to talk regulations, too. There's a ton to cover here. Sure. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them, too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply. With bitter cold days and nights right around the bend, make sure your animals have what they need to stay warm and healthy. For horses... That means plenty of water and the right nutrition you'll find in Neutrina Safe Choice Horse Feeds from D&B. Neutrina Safe Choice Horse Feeds supplement hay to give your horses the additional calories, nutrients, and fiber they need to keep warm this winter. Neutrina Safe Choice Horse Feeds. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Well, guys, I want to ask you about uh, the search and rescue application for drones. And I guess the reason I want to do that is here we live in the West where there's so much public ground around. And that's one of the things about our lifestyle. People like to get out on the BLM into the Forest Service lands, our national monuments, our national parks and go and get away from people. But occasionally people don't come back for one reason or another. They're lost. They're injured, whatever it may be. And it seems to me that in everything we're talking about, that there's probably some really good applications for unmanned aerial vehicles uh, to help in those circumstances. But obviously, this is a budget expenditure, whether it's the uh, your local city, county, state, or federal government, that people are going to want to know why are they spending money on this. So if we could, for a moment, uh, just talk about some of the things that drones might be capable of when it comes to public safety and helping out. The capability of drones, depending upon what sensor is on it, we haven't really talked about how we collect it. We yeah. we talked about data, but that data is based upon what type of sensor. It could be a camera. It could be a dedicated sensor. It could be a thermal imager. So the example for search and rescue is if you have somebody out, uh, the human body gives off heat. Right. If you're on cold ground, you'll, you'll light up the system. They'll mm-hmm. see it. So a properly equipped drone for search and rescue in that case a person is lost a child's lost you can definitely see and it's the thermal image that they look at right. uh, so that would be the main one for search and rescue uh, just imagery in in uh, fighting crime people run into hide they try and get away from you stuff like that police can use both the thermal image and the camera you know, if you're going to send an officer into danger, mm-hmm. the best thing you can do is have a pair of eyes up there. Right. I was kidding with somebody about a drone launch from a police car. But think about it. A policeman out by himself late at night, if he had the capability of having a drone in his vehicle and by just touching his watch or something on his wrist, that drone would launch from the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Flashing lights, it's night, there's people in a car, and the drone is sitting above them now, locked on the police officer, a couple hundred feet away. Mm -hmm. The people in the car have no idea. All they know is that there's a drone there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We even speculated, what if you said, Boise police drone on target, stand by. Mm -hmm. The people in the car, and that announcement would come out of the police car, Mm -hmm. I'm putting this together on it, but we've talked about it, 
that's a, a something that I think could save lives. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked about it. I believe Amazon has already patented it, so I'm not giving anything away, guys, if you're running <laughs> yeah. out there to patent it right away. But that would be, I think, in my mind, a tool that the police could use, uh, and it could be live, streaming live, back to dispatcher. So now they've got a pair of eyes on what's going on. A policeman by himself, midnight, on a dark road out in the west here, uh, would have somebody with him. That's interesting. Uh, And I've been that police officer out in the middle of the night on a dark road by myself. And what you're talking about is the deterrent effect of of somebody sitting in that car that you've pulled over or whatever, knowing that they're being filmed and that that something's watching them. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's very, very interesting. I was discussing it with a retired police chief up in the Northwest. And I asked him, I said, could it then say drone armed? And he said, no, <laughs> legally, they'd probably have a problem with that. But, probably. But the deterrent is on the serious side is something I think really we need to look at. Yeah. For our police officers. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. And and what you were saying about search and rescue as well, and Brock will have you comment on this as well. But when it comes to uh, the different thermal imaging, I'm I'm very rudimentary, so I'm thinking infrared, but I know there's more to it than that. But obviously, day or night, uh, if there's a disparity in the temperature between the person who's missing and the the surrounding environment, that camera can kind of easily pick that out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even without thermal, just a, a video shot from up high could pick out easily a, a shirt, you know, a white shirt, red shirt, ball cap. I mean, it, it'd be much easier to do that than to hike a trail and you know what you can see is only so much especially out in some of these wildland areas mm-hmm. so in some of these these areas aside from just being able to find people with say high resolution video or, or thermal imagery I, I imagine capabilities that could be used to say someone is in a, a deep canyon or some ravine and they're hard to get to mm-hmm. even delivering some type of payload maybe it's a bottle of water mm-hmm. maybe it's a some type of medical supply medication i mean i, th- I think that's probably something that could really make a difference if you can't get to someone right away Absolutely. Um, and, and you know, they've, maybe they've been out for a few days and they're kind of barely hanging on. I mean, yeah. that could be a pretty, pretty huge um, advantage. Yeah. Drones. Uh, we did it in world war two. Yeah. Uh, we could do it now, right? Absolutely. It could be emergency blankets or water. Or yeah. Very interesting. Well, okay. Let's take our final commercial break. When we come back, I, I want to ask you about the everyday person who wants to go out and buy drones and, and some of the regulations in terms of what they can and can't do. And if you want to go into this commercially, what you better get straightened out before you start that, okay? Hamilton Carhartt started sweating the details back in 1889. Carhartt started to stitch together workwear made to stand up to steel, smoke, and the Industrial Revolution. Ever since, Carhartt gear has survived in the most rugged corners of the world and thrived in the harshest conditions at work or home. In 1959, a couple of fellas named Dutch and Bud set up their first supply shop in Idaho to outfit people in the West with only the best. When you need the stuff of legends, even just to make it through the workday, stop in for some Carhartt at your favorite D&B Supply. With bitter cold days and nights right around the bend, make sure your animals have what they need to stay warm and healthy. For horses, that means plenty of water and the right nutrition you'll find in Neutrina Safe Choice Horse Feeds from D&B. Neutrina Safe Choice Horse Feeds supplement hay to give your horses the additional calories, nutrients, and fiber they need to keep warm this winter. Neutrina Safe Choice Horse Feeds. Available at your favorite D&B Supply. All right. Well, so I want to ask uh, in this final segment about people going out and buying drones for personal use. So a couple things. 
one, you can walk into Costco today or Walmart or wherever, and there's drones for sale. And I have no idea the quality of that piece of equipment compared to what you use in a commercial application. But here's what I do know. Whenever some new technology comes out like this, people are going to start to see, hey, I could do this for a business or I could do that for a business. Mm -hmm. The FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, they are regulating the use of this when it uh, when it comes to commercial use. Let's talk about those regulations really quick and make it very clear for people listening that if they want to pursue the use of drones as something outside of recreation, what they need to do. The FAA, a lot of people don't realize, actually regulate the national airspace in the United States. And the national airspace starts at zero, ground level. It goes straight up. Uh, a lot of people think, well, it's my farm or it's my backyard. Mm-hmm. I can fly over it. It's my property. Well, it's your property, but you don't own the national airspace. Now, regulations, everything above 400 feet, you can fly below 400 feet as a hobbyist. Okay. So your question about the Walmart and buying a, a drone and kids flying them, you're still required to follow regulations. Uh, that child, 12-year-old, can't go down and fly by the Boise Airport. They're definitely in trouble. Okay. But what they do is when they buy it, they get a manual in the box, and mm-hmm. of course, everybody reads those manuals right. and instructions. Right. But uh, you can go out and buy one up to 400 feet. Now, when you cross over into commercial, when the drones really hit a few years ago, and, and as they said, we were the first in the commercial to get an FAA commercial, it was very tough. Part 333 required you had to be a pilot, you had to have a medical, you had to have training, you had to designate when you were flying, where you were flying, all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, recently, last year, Brock, I think it was last year, was when Part 107 came out, and the FAA, because of the demands that you mentioned, Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to fly one. Everybody wants to start a business. And a lot have. Mm-hmm. I mean, real estate agents now are using them just, just sure. around town taking pictures. You can think of the many different applications, as you mentioned. So the FAA said, okay, this is getting crazy. They tried registering all of them. And when they got up to 300,000, they were like drinking from a fire hose. They couldn't <laughs> keep up with it. So they stopped it. Now with 107, they've started registering again. As I said, they just this month passed over 1 million Mm -hmm. registered drones in the United States. Now, a lot of people don't register them, but that's what they've got on record. So to answer your question, to fly commercially, a farmer, grower that has a field, Mm -hmm. if he is flying over his family garden, that's fine. He's a hobbyist. Mm -hmm. No problem. If he goes out and flies over his crops that he sells, now he's in the commercial business Mm -hmm. and he's using a drone for commercial and he has to come under the 107 regulation, which requires that they be certified test uh, information. So that's the big question that comes up by Mm -hmm. everybody. Can I fly over my crops uh, and not get a license or anything? No, you can't. You're doing it commercially and you're flying in, in the national airspace. So you need a 107. Did I cover most of that, Brock? I think that sounds pretty pretty good. And yeah. when you say a 107, is that a, like United States code or something? What are we talking about? Yeah, so the, the, the part 107 is basically what the FAA came out with to regulate drone use. And so if, if you're 
Part 107 certified. Basically, you have a Part 107 uh, remote drone pilot's license. Okay. So you're, you're able to fly commercially. You get a, a card in the mail, and you're you're basically certified and registered through the FAA. Got it. Yeah. And now, if I understand this right, in the past, you actually had to be licensed to fly like a Cessna or something like that to operate a drone commercially. Now they've changed it, and you have to go through an actual recreational pilot's ground school and get certified, but you don't have to get the time in the actual aircraft flying. Correct. So to get the the private pilot or the remote pilot's license, you don't actually have to fly as part of the the process. You have to take a basically it's a basic aer- aeronautical skills course. Okay. And I think the the reason for that is there's so many different manufacturers out there. It's difficult to have a a curriculum that's 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 set for one type of aircraft or, or system just because there's so many. And so they basically cover basics, features, and, and procedures that are scalable between all UAVs. Okay. And that and that takes UAVs under 55 pounds. So anything over 55 pounds is a, is a whole different process. Okay. So, Gary, what you're talking about, too, I mean, there's got to be a lot of honor system going on here, right? So a farmer could go out and they could buy a drone and they could fly their own fields. And, they, and if they're out in a remote area... The chances of anybody knowing they're doing that probably is pretty low. Uh, I was at a convention recently, room full of growers, and uh, one of the presenters asked a question, how many people have drones? And I would say 50% of the people raised their hand. Okay. Then the second question was, well, how many are using them over their crops? And you could see everybody looking around the room looking for the FAA guy to say, oh, <laughs> wait a minute here. Um and, and, and I don't say that to, to discourage anybody. You just you do have to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. The FAA does not have anybody out policing fields, and I'm not talking for the FAA. This is information that we've been told. But they have sent out rules and regulations to local police. Mm-hmm. So if just in general, drones, not just growers and farmers, but just in general, if somebody's flying a drone illegally and, and you see it and, and you call your local police, they know how to handle it. They've gotten the directives from the FAA Mm -hmm. and they would be the enforcement people that would go in. And if there's an FAA violation, like if they cross into the Boise airspace, Mm -hmm. then they would turn that over to the FAA. Okay. So, so yeah, there's an honest system, but I think people are becoming more aware as, as they hear about them in the news and things like that, that they're fun. uh, They can be used for commercial benefit, mm-hmm. but you have to be careful because if you've got something that's flying and were to bounce off of an aircraft, you're, you've got two pilots up there that are, I'm a pilot myself, I'm a commercial pilot, uh-huh. and uh, not flying actively now, but but I have all the regulations and everything. And uh, I, I can tell you if I was flying a Beechcraft or a Cessna, I wouldn't want one bouncing off the front of my plane or yeah. in my prop or anything like that. So it's it's a give and take. Now, Brock, let me ask you, for, for folks that are looking at these at on Amazon.com or at Costco or whatever it may be, what are folks using these for recreationally? Like, what's, I guess, how are people having fun with drones? How are people having fun? Well, if you go to YouTube and you look up HD drone video, I mean, a lot of people are making really cool uh, fly-throughs of in the ag space of their farms, of livestock, mm-hmm. but, you know... People are hiking and taking drones with them. Snowboarders are having drones follow them while they're hmm. doing their thing. And so I think there's a lot of uses. And even when you get into the racing type drones, I mean, you're talking about 
acrobatics and, and uh, first person views and you're kind of in a whole different echelon there. Okay. Um, but, but I think you see how, how much digital media has taken off and the, the ability to, to edit videos and, mm-hmm. and really make nice looking, basically make nice looking commercials at home and drones are a really great tool to, to do that. It basically takes away the need for really complex camera systems and mm-hmm. pan shots and all that stuff. So I think uh, the recreationist can can get into it a lot of ways, but I think even as a as a farmer, I think you can do a lot of cool stuff even if you don't know a whole lot. And you know, go check out your field, go check out your livestock. You know, mm-hmm. so I th- I think it's it's really easy to get, to get into to to even do some kind of basic procedures that you know we would normally do. And c- kind of our spot is part one hundred seven. You know, it has made made us not fly as often because mm-hmm. we have people who can fly, but where our company really, really shines is in the ability to process complex data sets where, mm-hmm. you know, the average farmer might not have the, the skill or the, the want to really get into some of that advanced yeah. GIS type work. And so, for example, we, we train people to fly under Part 107 as well, too. So we're definitely trying to get people into the drone market rather than try to push yeah. people out, right? Well, you just gave me an idea. So calving season. Uh, or lambing season, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, and I, I've gone through enough calving seasons with with big herds where I'm up every two hours going out in the cold and in the wind and checking to see if anybody's calving, if anybody's yep. having difficulties, and do I need to help? Do I need to step in? Yep. Um, so are, is there any way, can you produce ambient light off of a drone? Is that a possibility? Ambient light, like a flashlight? Spotlight. Yeah, so could you wake up every two hours? Uh, but stay in the warmth and the comfort of your farmhouse. I absolutely think it's possible. And send yeah. a drone out to light up your cows and see if anybody's calving. Definitely. Really? I would patent that immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, depending on what you're flying under, if, if you're a hobbyist or commercial pilot right. on your land, there's kind of a gray area there, right? You could argue. Yeah. I mean, we would never, we would condone getting your part 107 just because it's the safe, sure. the safe sure. bet. and. You know, you're 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 doing good by all the other drone pilots by by flying uh-huh. based on the rules. But I think um, you could definitely go fly at night. A lot of that's done through a waiver process. So if you want to fly at night commercially, then you'd, you'd submit a waiver to fly at okay. night. And that's kind of a whole whole different direction. Okay. But if you're calving, you know, you don't have to get up on a horse. You can maybe maybe it's your fields right by your back porch, and you pop out there <laughs> real quick, and everything looks okay. You go back to bed and. So everybody's going to change where they're calving their cows out at uh, to make that work. Well, if Interesting. You, yeah, if it's close by, it's easier. Yeah. But then again, your range is is increased, so you could you could fly pretty far. Yeah. there and back, as long as you had a, a charge to get home, right? So you don't want to fly a, <laughs> fly a mile out and then have your battery die. Then you got to go out there and yeah. it's the purpose of, of the whole process. Absolutely. Okay. I, well, that was just something that dawned That's on me. That's a good idea. Yeah. That. Well, Gary, as we start to wrap this up, you know, we're talking a lot about the different commercial applications, people going out and and testing so they can do it commercially. But when it comes to uh, what a professional provider like Empire Unmanned can provide, what is the benefit there to the end user? Well, now with 107, as we've discussed, a lot of people are out experimenting and trying to use the drones for their business. Uh, What we find is it's kind of exciting in the beginning, and then they realize, wait, I I don't have the data processing. I don't have everything that's necessary. Mm -hmm. 
So they kind of go full circle, and we're seeing this. They're coming back to the provider because what we bring is we've got the latest equipment. We're constantly updating. You buy an aircraft, are you going to buy one every six months to a year? No. We have the rules and the regulations. So when we come in, we assume the responsibility. Sure. If the FAA is going to talk to anybody, they're going to say, okay, who's the 107? Who's the pilot? Who was in charge? That goes on us, not Mm -hmm. the farmer or the grower. Um, And then the other benefits are is liability. Something could happen. Something could go wrong. Uh, You're flying it. You lose the aircraft, whatever. Doesn't happen a lot, but we've read recently planes uh, have seen drones in the airspace Mm -hmm. that they're not supposed to be. A helicopter, a military helicopter just had a, a, a hit. You read about it occasionally. We have the insurance to protect the person. So we provide, when I say in the beginning, full service, that's our job. We come and we tell you what's going on. We give you all the ideas. We're out there doing this every day. Mm-hmm. So we see the new ways of doing things and how it benefits you. So that's that's the advantage of a full service, and, and that's why we're in business. So another benefit of using a company like Empire Unmanned would be basically using the data that we provide. So we can take base data sets and do all types of statistical analysis, remote sensing, automated classification, finding weeds, looking at crop health. There's a lot of functions that that we can do that the, the average farmer or grower might, might not be able to uh, do or, or may just not have the, the, the time sure. to, to do it, sure. honestly. Another thing as well is we offer training classes, so Part 107 prep courses to mm-hmm. have basically two-day courses where you have a, a real instructor to get you through the, the prep material to actually take the test. And for someone who's just starting, never flown anything, doesn't know any aviation, yeah. that's, that's kind of a nice course. And also, um, one of our big functions too is consulting um, with small and large and large companies to you know, developing their own uh, existing uh, programs or developing new programs and acting as a, a liaison through the FAA, um, especially for, for projects that aren't necessarily completely outlined within the Part 107, uh, the scope, because that's really um, kind of a, a, a broad blanket. And mm-hmm. so if you're dealing with specific problems, it's nice to have um, people that have the, the knowledge and experience to basically consult on, on yeah. the FAA, the national level. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I would be nervous. So I would want somebody I could talk to. Well, awesome, you guys. Gary, Brock, this has been great. It's fascinating technology, and I really do appreciate you sharing it with us today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for inviting it's us. Fun. Appreciate it. And of course, for all of you out there listening, if you'd like more information about Empire Unmanned, you can find them on their website right there at empireunmanned.com or call them on the telephone. The number is 208-627-8041. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.